0: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You guys forgot what teaching series we're in, didn't you? We are in week five. Week five of a teaching series from the 23rd Psalm. Week five, and out of the last five weeks, four times, we have remained standing at the end of our musical worship so that we could worship the Lord, too, by reading His Word aloud. And it's important, I've said this every week, it's important that you read god's word and i believe it's also important that we read his word out loud where we can hear his word so you're not only putting it in your mind but you're putting it in your mind not through your eyes but also through your ears you're putting it in your heart you're writing his word on your heart as you read it and as you hear it so let's read together the 23rd psalm you guys ready and we're going to all read from the screen so we're all reading the same translation same version ready here we go the lord is my shepherd Before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. So, as we get started this morning in our very first gathering here at Briar Hill Middle School, I'm going to tell you guys that in a very real way, this is like um, a restaurant or a retail business doing a soft opening, right? Y'all have heard of that. Maybe you've done that before in a place where you've worked or you've participated in helping a place get opened up. We've got all kinds of new stuff that we have never used before. We plugged in this entire sound system, our AV. How y'all like our side screens, right? And we're going to only improve from here, but we're going to improve as you guys give us some feedback on things. And speaking of feedback, you might hear some today. We're still tweaking the dials and the knobs, and these guys in the back are working hard. The worship team is working hard to make sure everything sounds right, and we're putting out the very best that we can. So if something goes weird, if my mic cuts out, if we get squealing feedback, just roll with me, all right? I may turn the mic off and just talk to you. But later, I want to hear from you a little bit about what your experience was today. How did parking go? How was check-in with the children? How did your kids like the service today? Did they like being in the gym? Uh, What did it sound like, look like, feel like in here? So as we get started, please know that in a very real way, it's like a soft opening, but also in a very real way, this is just business as usual. This is the Lord taking care of His business, shepherding His flock. We're here this morning worshiping Him, and we're going to have a message from His Word, and we're going to wrap this message today by participating in the Lord's Supper or communion. And so it's just going to be an awesome Sunday morning, and I'm glad you guys all braved the weather to be here. So I said a few minutes ago, we are in week five of this teaching series from the 23rd Psalm. Now, if you've been here for a few weeks, you know week five is going to mean verse five, right? We've been taking it verse by verse. So if you want to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm, 23rd Psalm, and find verse five. We're going to spend a good bit of our time there. And we're going to move around into some other scriptures as well. But if you want to just put your finger in the Psalms and find the uh, fifth verse, we'll be reading that together in just a moment. Before we do, let's talk about what we've learned in the first four weeks of this series. In the first four weeks, the last month that we've been breaking down David's Psalm, this is only six verses. In the entirety of the Bible, this is a teeny, tiny, itty-bitty little passage, and yet it is one of the most quoted, one of the most well-known, most often memorized verses or passages in all of Scripture. And it's that way because it's so full of great information. It's so full of wisdom and knowledge and full of peace and comfort for those of us who apply it in our lives. So let's talk about what we've learned. We have seen how very similar the relationship between the sheep and the shepherd is to the relationship between mankind and God. There's a very, very close uh, um, um, similarity between how the shepherd relates to the sheep and how God relates to us. How the sheep relate to the shepherd and how God relates to us or we relate to God. So we have found that we're very similar in that regard, in that relationship. We've seen that like the sheep, Mankind, you and me, we need a protector. We need a provider. We need somebody who is looking out for us, who has our best interest, our health, our well-being foremost in his mind. We have found that Jesus is that good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Jesus is our good shepherd. He is the one who provides for us, who protects us, who cares for us. And we found also that the good shepherd is very heavily invested in his flock. We've looked at a couple of passages that have showed us this. How heavily invested the good shepherd is in the flock. And so we've seen that Jesus is very heavily invested in our lives. And because of his investment, because of his commitment level, because he is the good shepherd, those who follow him, those who are sheep in his flock have something that is very, very, well, I just call it priceless. And that is peace. We have peace. Peace in the good times, when things are going right, when things are going well, when the grass is green, so to speak, and the water is clear, and the sun is shining, and sheep life is great. But also peace in the storms. Also peace when the predators are on the prowl. Peace when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death on our way to higher ground as we follow our good shepherd. That's what we found so far. Today we're going to continue in this passage. We're going to get into verse 5. We're going to continue reading what David wrote. And David wrote in the first couple of uh, verses here, he wrote as a sheep, writing, it would seem, to other sheep. Sheep outside of the flock that he was in. He was bragging about his shepherd when he wrote in verses uh, 1 through 3 he was writing about the good shepherd he's bragging on God how good God is to him and last week he took a little bit of a turn he began to write not about God but he began to write to God and he continues in that vein today as we read in verse 5 so if you would follow along with me let's read verse 5 and let's see what we're going to talk about today let's get into the details here David writes, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. You prepare a table before me. We're going to focus in today on that phrase out of this passage. We're going to talk about the table that the shepherd, the good shepherd, has gone before us and prepared in advance for us. And as I started studying for this message today, as I was prepping for this, the first thing that I thought of was how very interesting and even odd that it would be for David writing from the point of view of a sheep to talk about a table. Does anybody see the irony? Why do we raise sheep? Well, because we like to wear their wool for one thing. But in a lot of the places in the world, we eat them. Now, most of you probably didn't have mutton for dinner last night. Anybody? Anybody? Nobody? Yeah, I didn't think so. Probably not even lamb. Anybody? Anybody? Any? No. Oh, we got a little bit of lamb. I, now, I dig on some lamb. I'm in. But we don't eat a lot of sheep. We don't eat a lot of lamb. We don't. We, but in a lot of the world, that's food. So to hear the sheep writing about the table that the shepherd has prepared, I thought was very ironic. And so I wanted to do a little more study. I wanted to find out a little bit more about this table because this good old boy didn't get it, right? I'm not a shepherd. I don't get sheep herding culture. I don't get sheep culture. That's for darn sure. So I wanted to figure out why the sheep is writing about a table. And what I found as I studied... I went back to, I read a couple of different Bible commentaries, Matthew Henry's commentary, a few others. Didn't find anything that really helped me understand the table. And I went back to my book that I've been reading by Philip uh, Yancey, I believe is his name. The guy I told you about in the first week who wrote this book back in the 70s, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. This is a man who is a Christ follower who was raised by missionary parents in Africa and in Canada. Both countries do a lot of sheep herding. And as he grew up, he grew up around shepherds and sheep and in sheep country. And as a young man, he began to make his living as a shepherd. And so this man became a shepherd. He was a Christ follower. And later in his life, he decided to write a book about this 23rd Psalm from a shepherd's point of view. And he helped me find the connection between the sheep and the table. And it was nothing like what I had imagined. Nothing like what I thought I was going to find. Here is what... um, Mr. Yancey, or Keller, it's Keller, it's Philip Keller, not Yancey, that's it, Keller. Just hit me, Keller, Philip Keller. Don't go look for a book by Philip Yancey, you won't find it, I don't know where I got that. If you want to go look for the book, you'll find it under Keller, All right. But here's what Keller helped me understand in his book. All throughout the world, wherever you go into really good sheep country, you find, usually, mountains. Sheep seem to like mountains, right? They do well in mountainous environments. They can deal with the higher elevations. They can deal with the cold. They can, they're good with that, right? But he said in sheep country, you almost always find a specific kind of mountain intermingled or mixed in or maybe even the prevalent kind of mountain. And it's this mountain that goes up like normal. But instead of coming to a peak, these mountains flatten out. On top. Now, around here, we refer to that kind of a mountain as a mesa, right? Those of you who handled landforms when you were in sixth grade and they taught you about land, you learned that's a mesa, right? Now, why do we call it a mesa, this flat topped mountain? Because that's the Spanish word for table. Somebody started to connect the dots right there. You prepare a table before me. Keller writes about taking. Uh, these early spring, late winter treks out into the mountains while his sheep were still down in the low country, out of the cold weather, down on the plains. He would go up into the mountains. He would find one of these mesa, these tabletop mountains, where he wanted to take his sheep later in the year, in the spring and summer, for really great range. I mean, think about it. High alpine elevation, big flat open area grows beautiful wonderful green nutritious grass good stuff for the sheep and so he would go before his sheep up to the tablelands and he would prepare the tablelands the mesa for the sheep who would be coming up later he would carry with him salt and minerals because sheep animals need salt and minerals anybody here been around cows Cattle ranches, you know, they put out those big blocks of salt and mineral licks for the cattle. Sheep are just like that. They need the minerals. And so he would take the minerals with him. He would spread them out in different places up on the tablelands. He would also go through those tablelands, through that mesa, that big flat-topped mountain, and he would prepare it in other ways for the arrival of the sheep. One of the things that he would do when he was up there was get on the lookout for predators. He'd have to take a look around and see if there were predator problems. Now, we talked in week one and a few times since then of this series about how sheep have no natural defense against predators, right? They have no natural defense except run. That's what they got, run. And so sheep are very feeble. They're very easily attacked. And and wolves and lions and bears and other predators, coyotes, they like to target sheep because they're easy Targets, especially the young or the infirmed. And so he would go up, uh, Kellerwood, and he'd prepare the tabletop, and he would be on the lookout for coyotes and mountain lions and bears and things that could attack his sheep, things that would uh, predate on his sheep. And if he saw a bear den, he would, like, boulder it up. <laughs> he would try to make it uncomfortable for the bears to be up in that country around the table he was preparing for his sheep if he saw coyotes on the prowl he would try to shoot them and kill them he is preparing this table in the presence of his sheep's enemies and he wants to thin that enemy out he wants to protect his sheep from them he would look for tracks and and scat there's one of those and he'd look for all of these things to show him if if predators were a problem and then he would work to eliminate the predators he would even try to cut back and thin out the heavy brush that the predators might use to hide in to lurk and and and, uh, spring an attack on the sheep and so he'd be up there preparing the table the flat-topped mountain the mesa preparing the table eradicating the enemy knowing full well that he would never fully eradicate the enemy he couldn't get them all but he could certainly make it safer for his sheep to come to that table. He also pointed out that it was more than predators that he had to defend against. This one completely caught me off guard. I love how ignorant I am about sheep. I thought I was a good old country boy. I, got, I, I know nothing about sheep. I'm learning a ton now. He said the other big issue that he had to be on the, the lookout for, poisonous plants. Poisonous plants. I would have never thought about poisonous plants and sheep i think about a critter being out in the woods being wise enough to know what he's supposed to eat and what he's not supposed to eat i wouldn't think about them eating poisonous plants but he writes keller does about this um plant i don't know if any of you guys are like botany people or you dig you like plants and apparently these camas plants are beautiful they bloom a couple different colors of flowers and all this stuff and they're really pretty and if you saw a big pasture full of them, you wouldn't think anything of it but he said if a sheep eats one of these camis plants it paralyzes the sheep and then, I mean, the sheep goes totally rigid and then the sheep dies. And he said if a lamb even so much as nibbled a leaf, one little lobe, while he was grazing on the green grass, if he just accidentally nipped one bite off one of these camis plants, it would be certain death for the lamb. Man! One little plant? One little bite off one little leaf? could wipe out his lambs. And so he would go up into the tablelands and he would look for these camas plants and other noxious poisonous plants and he would have to clear them out of the grazing land where the sheep were going to come. He'd have to pull them up by the roots and discard them, get rid of them. And he'd bring his kids up there and they'd work together to do this. And it just made me think about how the preparation in the presence of our enemies sometimes it's a very evident enemy a very obvious enemy a predator who is stalking about like a lion or a bear looking to devour you or me sometimes our enemies are not so obvious sometimes it could be something very innocuous looking a plain and simple little green plant with a pretty little flower on it can poison you And so the shepherd has to go and prepare the table in the presence of the enemies of the sheep. David must surely have done these things. So far, I've been quoting Keller. But I think about David. We know he was a shepherd boy. That's where he was when the prophet came to anoint him king. He wasn't even present. He was out tending his father's sheep. Later, they called him the Shepherd King. So we know he was a a shepherd. David even talks about taking out lions and bears with his sling, right? He said he killed lions and bears in the defense of the sheep. And I would imagine that David also went up into the tablelands, up into the mesas, the flat-topped mountains, and prepared the table for his sheep and pulled those noxious weeds and those poisonous plants. And he did all of these things that Keller has been writing about. And I believe that surely... That's what was on his mind. That's what was in his heart when he penned verse 5 here about preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. He's thinking of all those hours he spent as a shepherd working in those table lands, getting them ready for his sheep. Our shepherd Our shepherd Jesus prepares the table for us. They're giving me notes on my screen back there. They tell me when I go over here, it makes more noise. I'm going to spend more time over here. I don't dislike y'all, I do like them a little better. Where was I? Jesus, our good shepherd, he goes before us, he prepares the table for you and me in the presence of our enemies, in the presence of our enemies. And you know what? Our enemies, they see us at the table. Satan, our enemy, sees us at the table that the Lord has prepared for us. He didn't like it. And his minions, the demons, they don't like it. What they would like to do is lure me and you away from the table that God has prepared for us. They would like to to get you and I into a position where they can predate us, where they can attack us, where they can kill us, where they can do what Jesus said the devil came to do, to steal, to kill, and to destroy, to devour you, to keep you away from the table the high, flat-topped mountain with the beautiful grass and the awesome grazing and the clear, cool waters that God has prepared for you. They will use all kinds of things to lure us away from the table. Beautiful things. Tasty things. Things that look good, that sound good, that smell good, things that we think will be sweet, and yes, they might be at first bite. Think about the serpent in the garden tempting Adam and Eve with the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. I said, doesn't it look good? It'd be good for food. Here, smell it. Ah, sweet. Oh, and by the way, it'll give you something you don't have right now. Don't you want it? Now, I might be embellishing the story just a little bit, but I'm not so sure, right? He likes to tempt us with tasty, good-looking, sweet-smelling, awesome-sounding things to lure us away from the table that the good shepherd has prepared before us. Reminds me of Proverbs 1412. The writer says in Proverbs 1412, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads only to death. I started wandering too far that way. That was the way that seemed right to a man. <laughs> but it might blow your eardrums out if I go too far. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads only to death. There are things that look good, that sound good, that smell good. There are things that sound like you just, you should have them, you need them, and you want them. And it seems right. Surely it would be okay for me to eat the fruit. I would not surely die. But in the end... That's exactly what happens. It leads only to death. The enemy draws you off sides. He draws you away from the table that the Lord has prepared for you. What predators are lurking in your life? Who is stalking you like a lion, ready to pounce on you like prey? Who is ready to devour you? You may be thinking of a person. You may be thinking in spiritual terms. And you may be right in both cases. There are predators who would like to lure you away from the table, to draw you offsides, to keep you from that mountaintop high kind of life that Jesus has prepared. What poison attracts your eye? What poisons are out there that attract you? Maybe they're toxic relationships that draw you in, that pull you away from right relationships, that pull you away from the table that God has prepared. Maybe it's substances. Maybe you have drug or alcohol problems, addictions. Pornography. Maybe it's gambling or just shopping. It sure does look good. It sure does sound good. It sure does smell good and taste good. Oh, wait, tastes good. Are you addicted to food? Ouch. I might be hitting close to home. you pulling up too many addictions. Too many. Uh-oh. These things are starting to ring true. What poison plants... Pull your eye, pull your heart away from the banquet table that the Lord has prepared before you. Realize that those things are your enemies. They are your enemies. We have to learn to keep our eye on the table that God has prepared before us. We need to keep our eyes on the banquet, the feast that he has gone before us and meticulously painstakingly, lovingly poured himself out for us, poured himself into the preparation for us. He's made us a table. He's set it beautifully. He's put every kind of awesome delicacy on it. He is our provider. He is our protector. He is the good shepherd. The good shepherd has prepared the table. But, hate that word, means there's something else coming. But, as much as he loves us, as much as he desires to be the provider and the protector for everybody, he does not force anybody to come into his sheepfold. He throws the gate wide open and he says, you may enter If you're a sheep, when the predators try to come in, he kicks them out. He uses his rod and his staff that we talked about previously. But he throws the gate open and says, if you're a sheep, come on in. But you don't have to. You can choose to go your own way. You can choose to take your chances out there in the wilds. In the presence of your enemies, without the protection, without the provision of God, He doesn't force you in, but He offers it to everybody. Every single person, Jesus will point out in the course of your life, whether you're His follower or not, whether you're a sheep in His fold and His flock or not, He will point out to you that's an enemy. There's an enemy over here. Look out. That's a temptation from an enemy. There's a wolf in sheep's clothing over there. Avoid that. You know those times in your life when that has happened? You know that oh feeling in your heart? That that moment where you, just in your mind, it's almost like you heard a voice say, don't do that. How many of you have stories that you start out with, man, I sure wish I would have listened to that voice? Right? Jesus said, That's a wolf in sheep's clothing. That person, that girlfriend, that boyfriend, that fraternity brother, whatever he is, whatever she is, that person in the cubicle next to you, wolf in sheep's clothing. Don't relate with them. They're going to bite you. And now your story starts with, you know, I had these friends. I had these friends. Turns out they led me away from the table that God had prepared before me they led me out into the wilderness where I was ambushed, where I was susceptible where I was weaker I stepped away from the table I got lured off sides and taken away Jesus will point out some of those enemies he will take out some enemies you'll never even know they were right on your heels when he whipped out the rod beat them in the head and they were gone they never had a chance to attack, but he doesn't do it all the time, and he doesn't force us to come under his care and provision. He gives us what I would call a fighting chance. He gives us every opportunity. He gives us every little nudge. He gives us every invitation to come and follow me, to tuck in behind The Good Shepherd, and to become a part of his flock. But he leaves it up to you and to me to step up to the table or not, to stick with him or not, to eat at that table that he has prepared, and to receive the life, to live the life that he provides. Check out Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. If I could just remember to stay away from that side of the stage. I'm a wanderer. Y'all been around here a little while, you know I, I will use the entire platform up here. I will. U- I'll use the back, I'll use the front, I'll use the sides. Got to get some discipline now and stay in a good place. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, before we get off on a rabbit trail. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes. We are God's handiwork. We are God's handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Does that sound like the table? Prepared in advance. Good works. We're his handiwork. He wants the best for us. Think about this. Have you, are anybody that's in here that's creative in any way? Anybody here that likes to build, that likes to paint? Anybody in here that does. The, the girl who cuts my hair is here. She's livid right now because my hair isn't styled the way she did it, right? Anybody who does anything artistic, you like that thing, that piece of art, that project, that thing that you produced to be taken good care of, don't you? You want it to be good. You want it to represent you. You want the world to see your work. You want it to be handled with care, right? Do you think God is any different? We're made in His image and His likeness. He wants the best for us. He wants us to be taken care of. He wants us to be the best representation of His creativity that we can be. He's prepared the table before us. He has a life, an elevated life that He has prepped up for you and for me. It's an abundant life. It's a blessed life. It's a life that, no matter what happens, good or bad, a life that we can have peace and joy, a life that we can be a reflection of Him, a life in the presence of our enemies, but under the protection and the provision of our Savior Jesus. Last week we talked about the valley of the shadow of death. I said, you know, the valley of the shadow of death is actually a valley that runs up the mountain, not the valley between. It's the best pathway for the shepherd to lead the sheep to that elevated ground, that higher ground, those flat-topped mountains, those high meadows with the good grass and the good water. That valley of the shadow of death is a dangerous route to the top, but it's the best route to the top. And the reason it's the best route to the top is because the sheep are following the good shepherd. The sheep wouldn't want to have to take that route on their own without that protection and provision. There are too many dangers, too many disasters, too many predators lurking in that valley. We can have the abundant, blessed, high elevation life that God has designed for us if we'll stay at the table, if we'll stay with him through the valley of the shadow of death. we got to stay with the good shepherd. we got to trust the good shepherd. You wouldn't stay with the good shepherd if you didn't trust the good shepherd, would you? And I think that's one of the reasons that sometimes people wander away from his provision and protection, just like sometimes sheep wander away from a shepherd's flock. There are some sheep that just like to jump the fence or find a weak spot, crawl under, crawl through, whatever, and get away. They want to go do life on their terms. They may be eating subpar grass, they may be having to wander far and wide, they may have to fend off predators on their own and just learn to run faster and hide better. I don't know how they do it, but there are some that like to run off and do that. They think that's freedom. The Bible says the real freedom is in the sheep pen with the good shepherd. But some people like to run off and do it on their own terms, and I think sometimes it's because they're not sure they can trust the good shepherd. Let me talk about that for a moment, trusting the good shepherd. I am a firm believer that I can trust Jesus in everything all the time. And the reason I believe so firmly that Jesus is so trustworthy is this. It's here. It's all in here. That we can trust him fully is in here. How do I know that I can trust him with what I'm dealing with? He lived 2,000 years. Years ago, he's God. How could he know what I'm dealing with? How could he deal with the struggles and the trials and the temptations, the bright and shiny fruit, the things that smell good and look good and sound good? How could he possibly understand me? How could I possibly identify with him or trust him? Folks, Jesus was a man, flesh and blood. Yes, God, but also man. And he was tempted and tried, just like you and I. In fact, he faced temptation that most of us will never face. See, the enemy, Satan, the devil, he's not like God. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all the time like God is. He's just one dude. One bad dude, but one dude. One devil. He can only be in one place at one time. He can only deal with you if he's in your life, present with you. You right now. He dealt with Jesus that way. He found Jesus before Jesus started his his ministry on earth, and he tempted him. Jesus went to the desert to fast and pray, 40 days of fasting in the desert. And what happens? The serpent shows up and begins to tempt him with some high-level temptations. Guess what? Jesus didn't bite He didn't take the forbidden fruit. He didn't get drawn off sides. He was not lured in. Jesus defeated that temptation. Jesus lived a sinless life in spite of the fact that while he was fully God, he was also fully man. He did have the capacity to sin. He could have done it if he had wanted to if he had allowed himself to take his eyes off of the table that was prepared before him. He was not tempted. Well, he was tempted. He did not fail. He was victorious. He faced that ultimate predator, and he defeated him. He did what you and I could never do. He did what you and I could never do. He lived a sinless life. A sinless life. I think about how huge that is. I have a three and a half year old. I would like to believe that Kenley entered this world completely innocent and pure. And that she had a shot at living a sinless life. But the reality is, she entered this world stained by sin, just like you and I. And every other person has since Adam and Eve sinned for the first time. She entered the world stained by sin. If you don't believe me, have children. You will find out they are incredible sinners. And you did not have to teach them or train them. They were good all on their own. As good as you are at it, they didn't need you as an example. They had it all figured out from birth. We're born into sin. We never had a shot at a sinless life. Jesus lived the sinless life and then he did something else he fulfilled the prophecy that he said about himself when he said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep jesus lived a sinless life and then he died a sacrificial death he laid down his life for the sheep you and me and everybody else in this world. Not his sheep, not those that were already in the fold. Talked about this a couple of weeks ago. The sheep. All of the sheep. He died whether you would choose to enter into his sheep pen or not. Whether you would choose to come under his ownership, his lordship, his leadership or not. He died for you just the same. Lived a perfect life. He died a sacrificial death so that the sheep his sheep those who do come into the pen those who do follow him through the valley of the shadow of death those who do find a place at his table so that we can live life elevated up on those tabletop mountains in the provision and the protection Of the Good Shepherd. He laid down his life because that was the price he had to pay to prepare the table. Keller paid the price by buying salt and minerals and by the sweat of his brow as he pulled poisonous plants. David paid the price by the sweat of his brow by the work that he did. Shepherds today still pay the price for their sheep to graze in that high country to eat at that prepared table. But Jesus paid the ultimate price to prepare the table for you and me. He gave his life. Gave his life on a cross. He was shamed. He was beaten. And then eventually he was murdered. To pay the price for my sins and for yours, even though he never committed one. That is what we remember, and that is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, or communion. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to wrap up our worship message today by taking part in this this, uh, this meal, this meal that we call communion. And I want each of you to listen to me for a few moments as we go ahead and distribute the elements about what communion is, about what we're doing and why we're doing it. As those elements go by this morning, I want you to know that what we're about to do is we're going to recall, we're going to remember The suffering of Jesus. We're going to remember the agony that he endured, the shame that he took on for you and for me. It's a time of remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's also a time of celebration. We're going to celebrate today the fact that Jesus rose from that grave. He did not just die on the cross, but three days later, he rose from the grave we're going to celebrate that he defeated sin and death and that he has eternal life and that because of him we too have the opportunity for eternal life and if you're a sheep in his sheepfold a sheep in his pen then you are one of those who has eternal life the elements it looks like have made it around i'm going to ask that you hold those for just a moment we'll take the elements the bread the juice, the wine, the cup, whatever you want to call it, we got grape juice. Because I don't know, some of y'all may struggle with that temptation, so we roll with the grape juice. But we're going to take that here in just a few moments. We're going to do it in remembrance of Him. And this morning I want to remind you what I just said a moment ago. It is a celebration for the sheep, for those who are in the flock if you're somebody here this morning who's checking out the claims of Jesus, if you're not a follower this morning, not a sheep in his sheepfold, right? It's okay. If you took the bread and the juice, just hang on to it. In a moment, we're going to take it together. You just hang on to yours. And on the way out today, just drop it in the basket. Or when the offering comes by later, drop it in the basket. No sweat. I want you to observe today the sheep taking part in this meal, in the celebration and the remembrance of what our Good Shepherd has done for us. I want you to see us worship Him as we do that. And so this morning, let's do what Jesus did when He gathered His disciples in the upper room. They were there to celebrate the Passover feast. Matthew records it in chapter 26 of His Gospel. They were there in that upper room, celebrating the Passover. And while they were eating, Matthew says, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples and he said, take and eat. This is my body. So let's, together as the church, let's take the bread. And let's eat. And let's remember Jesus' body, which was broken for us, his sheep. Then Matthew says... Took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Church, let's take together the cup. Let's pray. My Lord, my shepherd, thank you for going before me into the presence of my enemies and preparing there a table, a rich banquet fulfilling banquet meal full of your provision your provision for an elevated life a life that's not doesn't make me better than others it makes me different it's a life in which I have joy I have peace Because I trust you as my protector, as my provider, even as I sit in the presence of my enemies. Even as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I have confidence and peace. I can lie down and rest because of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for preparing that table for me. Thank you for paying the price and doing the work. Thank you for being my Savior. Lord, as we continue to worship this morning, let us do so with remembrance in our hearts and our minds. That we really think about what that bread and that juice that we just took, what that meal that we just took part in, really means, what it really represents, what freedom we have because of the body and the blood, because of the death and the resurrected life of Jesus. Let us worship you with abandon. Let us worship you, God, in spirit and in truth. Let us worship you, Father God, as we sing out. And also, Lord, as we bring in the tithe and the offering, as we bring that money in that you have blessed us with, that there may be food in your house to do the work and the ministry that you have called us, your church, to do. We love you. We bless your holy name. Now let's worship.